1: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart.
0: Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
2: Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Lindsay Rhodes and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Show.
1: Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Amira, and I'm joined today with my co-hosts, Jessica and Brenda, to bring you the last episode of Bayad, where we're all talking, of 2020. Of course, like we always do, we'll wrap up the year with best of episodes, but this is our last full show coming together, talking live with you We'll recording together of the year. And I'm very excited to be joined by my co-host to talk about the year that was, which was... A mess, let's just say that.
2: When they finally called that, I was like, all righty. Now nobody's going anywhere for a while.
1: (laughs) And of course, we'll burn some things. We'll shout out some torchbearers of the week. We'll tell you what's good in our lives. I am just so thrilled to watch
0: a sexy, steamy, historical romance with a diverse
1: cast. And we'll send you off into the new year uh, with lots of things to burn on about. Before we get to all that, y'all, we have just a few weeks left of 2020, so I really want to know, we're entering that kind of foggy gray limbo period that stretches the last two, you know, weeks of the year where you don't really know what day it is. I suppose you could say that for all of 2020, though, but I'm wondering, are there specific things that you're looking forward to or that you're doing, um, holiday traditions you might be having in the next few weeks
0: yeah, so tonight I'm really excited because we are going down to the Trail of Lights, which is the city's big outdoor thing. You normally walk it. One year, Aaron and I did the 5K where you run through it, but we I did that once, and I was like, that's enough. <laughs> uh, but this year, it's drive-through, and so we're very excited to be able to go down and participate in that, and so I think that will be a lot of fun. We'll probably sing christmas carols as we go through it because that sounds like a very luther family thing so i'm looking forward to it i love that Bren, what do you got
2: i mostly try to give my children the gift of outdoor hiking and hating on your parents during the holidays by marching them through whatever local hike i can get them to with bribes and threats of i'll return all your presents (laughs) And uh, man that that's very effective I found so this is my chance to use the holiday spirit to get them to actually move especially during this COVID time so I love taking a hike on like Christmas day New Year's day and just like getting out so that's kind of my tradition and I've heard about this new cellophane ball game it's not new but that thing I want to try that thing. I have no it's new idea for what me. You're talking about. Okay, so right. So here's the thing. You like take some cool ass present and you like start to wrap different presents into saran wrap, you know, or cellophane, whatever. I don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. So I just learned about this. So I just learned about this and I'm super psyched about it. And how did you do it? And then you put little tiny presents in the cellophane ball. And then you wrap it into a huge ball and you play with like all, you know, the kids or whoever you're with. And they have to unwrap it, but you have to, the person has to roll doubles. So like you're trying to unwrap it and you get all the prizes that you unwrap until the person next to you rolls a double. Every
1: bit of this explanation has made me more and more confused.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're going to need,
1: we're gonna a, need a video. video. That's yes. right.
2: I could do a how to, like a wiki how.
1: Uh... So, I'm not doing that. Um, Yet. 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 You haven't seen this amazing thing. Um, We're just blobs. We're just trying to exist. And me and Michael are in that, like, furious, like, let's finish this stuff so we can stop caring about things. not a blob.
0: Your entire Instagram stories are are you working out. So, I, I object.
1: I mean, in my home gym. Okay. But I will say, like, that is, I, so, of course, Peloton has, like... Like a lot of holiday content and best of 2020 content and stuff like that. But I've been doing with the kids. So like me and the kids just did a holiday Broadway yoga. Billy Porter singing Oh Holy Night while you're doing yoga to it is top. So let me tell you. So that has been fun. And we're going to do gingerbread houses, I think, on Christmas Eve. Of course, Michael's birthday is the 23rd. So we he doesn't like his birthday, but it's 35. So it's a fun year. So we're going to drag him into festivities. And all the presents are wrapped or under the tree. I got them under the tree. And we don't do, um, I don't know, if, if you have children who are listening who still believe in things. Pause it. We don't. We don't do that like in our house, mostly because like I want credit for the hard work that I do to get my kids things, but also like every year I wrap most of the presents, but I leave like one thing out so that if they choose to want to believe Santa brought them one thing, whatever. Cool. My older kids don't really care, so we've all been kind of at least doing the pretense of it for Zachary. Zachary was watching a show the other day, and he goes. Uh, this is a lie because Santa's not real. (laughs) And we were like, what do you mean? And so (laughs) the older kids have like decided that they're like going to make him believe in Santa. And I was like, can we all, if nobody in this house cares, we don't need to make him care. But they have decided that they are personally invested this holiday season in bringing back Zachary's holiday spirit. So it's been a lot of extra dramatic festivities and Zachary is completely unbothered by it. All right, y'all. I don't even know how exactly to wrap up a year like 2020. And we talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about like SI's terrible sports person of the year list. But this is the time for all of those lists. And one of the things I mentioned was that it was just so hard to make like a normal list in such an abnormal year. But I did want to try to at least have a discussion with y'all. As we sit here at the end of this wild roller coaster year, to look back on things that were memorable, things that were surprising, things that we have learned during this time. And so let's try to end this year that was. What, there's a lot of surprising things this year, I know, but what surprised you the most, Jessica?
0: Yeah, I found this incredibly difficult to do. So I actually went back and I tried to find something earlier in the year, pre pandemic, that surprised me a lot. And I I came across the AP's reporting about how the Saints, the NFL team, colluded with the Catholic Church to cover up the church's sexual abuse. It was actually my burn back in late January on episode 143, and I had just forgotten like how incredibly shocked I was by this whole thing. And so as I did then, please indulge me and let me just read the first two sentences of the AP's reporting because that's like all you need. Quote, The New Orleans Saints are going to court to keep the public from seeing hundreds of emails that allegedly show team executives doing public relations damage control for the area's Roman Catholic archdiocese to help it contain the fallout from a burgeoning sexual abuse crisis. Attorneys for about two dozen men suing the church say in court filings that the 276 documents they obtained through discovery show that the NFL team, whose owner is devoutly Catholic, aided the archdiocese of New Orleans in its, quote, pattern and practice of concealing its crimes. And part of this is just like, that is shocking all by itself. And then it just doesn't matter. It's a perfect microcosm of how like how little we care about what these teams do, right? And, like, we could talk about that all through COVID. But here's just a perfect example of, like, the really gross way that these teams operate. And so I'm going to put that down as, like, one of my most surprising things. But then, of course, I have to just say the Washington NFL team changing its name was
1: genuinely surprising. Absolutely. And I, I will riff off of that because I think that... What most surprised me is, like, that we hit some line in the sand where all of a sudden this iteration of, like, Black death and protest led to actual movement on things that people have been protesting for decades. So you have the Washington football name change. You recently of the Cleveland baseball team changed their name. You had the Mississippi state flag change, which for me was like wild. And one of the big pushes was that Kylan Hill and other college players, unpaid college laborers in the States said, I'm not playing another game for Mississippi state under that Dixie flag. And, People have been saying that literally I'm a historian, like I'm in the archives of people saying that same thing in the 70s, you know, and it just hasn't mattered. And all of a sudden this year, this became, you know, and I've asked myself this question over and over again, particularly after George Floyd, because it wasn't even the first video of a black man losing his life while saying I can't breathe that we've seen on camera like I. But yet. And that's probably why it's so surprising is because it feels like we've been here before, we've seen this before, but there was some switch that flipped and the name changes, the flag change, you know, even NASCAR going as far to ban the Confederate flag. I mean, enforcing it will be another thing, but remember, they couldn't even get it banned. They never even took that step after Dylan Roof, you know, wearing a Confederate flag, murdered nine people in a church. <laughs> so I think that that all of those things together were definitely the most surprising thing for me. Bren?
2: I yeah, this was so hard because all of these things were really surprising to me. Any kind of change that was going to happen, especially during this administration, the Trump administration, during this moment which was a very contentious, you know, election year. Like I just all of it was surprising to me and also because I wasn't going anywhere that's all I was paying attention to. So I was surprised all day in good and bad ways all the time, I felt like. (laughs) So it was like, what surprised you? It's like the whole damn year. But one thing in terms of thinking about international politics and the global impact of Black Lives Matter was the Chilean constitutional movement. So in 2019, Chilean students started a massive protest movement that resulted in the very conservative president, Sebastián Piñera, having to concede, not resign, he almost had to resign, but instead of resigning, he said, okay, I'll give in to the demand that we rewrite the entire constitution. And that to me was just, wow. I mean, it's a dictator's constitution. It was done by Augusto Pinochet in 1980. I mean, it's just, amazing to think about what it means and then they went a step further and made gender parity among the constituents mandatory so that means it will be the first constitution in world history that has equal participation of women writing it and that is totally a reflection of the last five years of the feminist movement that was shocking to me it's a model i think for everybody I think we should look at it really carefully. And now they've said, you know, there's like mandatory seats for indigenous people. And again, direct action is a really important component of this. And the sports figures that have stepped up, I've studied them for 120. Well, I've I've studied their history over 120 years, and I've never seen anything like it. You know, Jean Bosseur, who's Half Mapuche and half Haitian descent will be one of the constituent representatives, the famous Chilean national soccer player. And that's just wow. I'm wow about that.
1: Hand in hand with surprise. Sometimes there's overlap. But like what has been the most memorable thing, good or bad? I know for me, I think about March a lot. We all have been living in this for many months now, but I think about like that week, like where sports first shut down. I don't know if anybody's like gone down YouTube rabbit holes like I do all the time, but one of the things that I return back to watch a few times are clips from Big Brother Canada, I guess, because they're in a house, they're locked down, they don't know what's happening in the outside world, and so there's a series of updates they're given about COVID nineteen. And the first one's explaining to them what it is is rather benign. The second one is reading them how it's spreading and, you know, they're crying and they're shocked. And the third one, of course, is shutting them down because they're a big gathering. And I always think about, like, for us, it, since we were getting the news, it was constant and it was fast and it just kind of piled up. You didn't really have time. But when I look back at it, I think like that week, especially like when the NBA and then all of a sudden March Madness. And I remember we even recorded something earlier in the week that was like, will they or will they not play March Madness? What will it be like without the fans? Like That was our discussion. And within like 48 hours, it had been canceled. The NBA had stopped putting play- like it's kind of wild to even still think about and i think for many people who had kind of been hearing this or weren't paying attention to the news sports stopping was the signal like this was something to take notice of like this was going to fundamentally impact everybody change ways of life shut things down and i think it really was sports grinding to a stop that signaled we are approaching something unprecedented so i i don't think i'll ever forget that Brenda?
2: I mean, the March Madness, just to think about that for a minute, I mean, I know how much of NCAA revenue that was. I remember calculating it and being like, there is no way that these people will not find an angle to do this. And so, you know, you saw them hedging and hedging and hedging and hedging and putting it off and putting different things forward. And yeah, when they finally called that, I was like, all righty, you know, now nobody's going anywhere for a while, <laughs> like that was for me and just working at the university. That meant we're not going back. If they're not going back, we're not going back and we're done and we're done for fall and we're probably done for spring. I also think throughout that period, I was really tense about the election in ways that even though we were talking about it on the show and we were talking about how, you know, the Trump campaign was mobilizing that should sports be on, should sports not be on as a way to kind of comment on COVID more generally, it just amped up everything I felt about sports and politics in a sort of really disturbing way. And I'd really like to just appreciate as the year ends. I mean, it's not a partisan show because we're not we're not promoting any one particular party. But man, I am so glad he lost Uh, to never have to think about Oh, oh, never. Right. <laughs> but to think to yourself that a sports team could actually win something. And my immediate thought won't be, are they going to go to the White House? And how will this fascist president support or not support This team or use or not use this thing. Oh, the prospect of that is like a shiny light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I just think what you said, I, I think you're right in that I didn't realize either how anxious I was about it until that day and that week where I wasn't eating, wasn't sleeping. And then like it just it felt like something like crack, like a. Oh my gosh, (laughs) the hellscape we've been living through. Jess, what's memorable for you? I
0: know that like um, elevated my heart rate, just even thinking (laughs) about all of that. So I will say, again, really difficult to answer this, but I will never forget where I was when I learned that Kobe Bryant died. I know on episode 144, we did a really deep dive into everything around Kobe and all of our complicated and conflicted thoughts about that, but it was so jarring like that's one of those things that i just feel like whenever i look back on it i will remember exactly where i was sitting and what was happening when i got that news because it just felt otherworldly in some way and the other thing that i find incredibly memorable was i saw that the bucks were not going to take the court and i didn't believe it so this game should technically be starting in about three minutes or so and nobody's on the floor it's very empty here in the arena and i I ran to my television (laughs) to turn on nba tv so that i could follow it which was that the only time this year maybe that i ran to my television to follow something in the moment
1: we are calling for justice for jacob blake and demand the officers be held accountable.
0: And I just r- was riveted following along and seeing all of those dominoes. And just, again, just there's a visceral quality to those two memories that I will just carry with me forever, probably.
1: And then also what's terrible about that for me is I I still am surprised by it. I have probably once a week where I'm like, oh, Kobe Bryant's dead. Um yeah. And partially and I, when I see
0: pictures of Gianna, like every time yeah, I get like like there's still some resting time. moment. Yeah.
1: And on top of that, it's because for me one of the most memorable things about this year is just unrelenting death. Like every day it's people we know, we don't know, it's another thread about somebody it's um my colleague at Ohio State Hassan Jeffries wrote a stirring thread to his Aunt B who just became one of the over three hundred thousand people we've lost to COVID nineteen in this country. Um check out that thread I'll link it in the show notes. But it's like Chadwick Bozeman. Like Kobe and Chadwick were the ones that made me sit straight up. Like that disbelief. Naya Rivera like Alex Trebek, like, there's just so many people whose names we know, whose names we don't know. Every day, it it's just, I don't know if you can even quantify, like, that type of memory, but I think that when I think about 2020, alongside of the abnormally, I think of death, and I hate that. I hate that. Well, that got dark. But... I do want to know, out of this year, out of this mayhem... What have you learned? What will you take with you? What have you learned from a book, from a podcast, from a sporting person? What have you learned? I know Lindsay, I just want to give a shout out to my co-host here, was like, as soon as I asked this, she was like, "Uh, I've learned a lot about pandemics and testing and protocols more than I ever thought I would need to know to cover sports. (laughs) it's like true, absolutely. Like We've all become like minor epidemiologists in many ways. But other than that, Bren, what have you learned this year?
2: Well, I mean, in terms of specifics, I guess one of the things that I feel really lucky about in my life is like NGOing, podcasting, professoring. My job is to learn all the time. So I do feel like this is an impossible question, in part. On the funny side, I've learned that there's no end to my students' grade complaints, no matter if there's 300,000 people dying. (laughs) This is the most important thing at 1 AM on a Saturday to approach me about. Love you, students. In terms of other specifics, I do think one of the shows that stood out to me was Crib Camp on Netflix which was recommended to me by my sister, who is quadriplegic, and my brother, who is gay. And so what it basically does is show, it's this touching upstate New York summer camp for the disabled, and it shows the intersection that grew between the Black Panthers, the LGBTQ community, and disability rights activists in the 1970s. And it really blew my mind. Like I really, I that's something I didn't know and I've studied all those things. And so I was really grateful for the recommendation. Also from doing the FAIR report on minority representation in US soccer with Jermaine Scott, I learned how sophisticated is this generation of young black soccer players, how strategic and how invested they were in community relationships I always learn from all of you how to say things better, ask questions better, and think better. So I feel like I'm always learning a lot. And I guess if there's any big, big abstract takeaway, I've learned more patience about everything, you know? I'm not traveling like I usually do. I have to sit still a whole lot, which just is really not my natural state. So I've learned that.
1: I would echo that. It's been a hard lesson. I can't say I'm. I've welcomed it with open arms. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but <At> right, all. <laughs> exactly. But learning how to sit still, um, to be an active listener, to have patience with myself, with the kids, with you know all of it, to have grace with myself. Those have been big lessons, I think. In terms of bio I really learned a lot about climate change through our climate change episode, and I see it everywhere now. <laughs> like, that's how I measure when I learn things, when I, like, see it everywhere. Um, and that's how I feel about that episode and really being able to connect it from, you know, the Gulf Coast to Kenya to the West Coast and think about wildfires and think about all these things is something that really has sticked with me. But then also the moment at the U.S. Open after Naomi Osaka won and she'd won wearing masks with a, a name of uh, a black life that has ended too soon. And Tom Rinaldi said, well, what do these masks mean to you? And she said, Tom, um, well, what was the message that you got? Was more and I feel like- that was just such a lesson on how to set boundaries, how to teach less when you've already taught, how to set your own terms for the conversation. And as someone who's been called on many times over the last few months to explain and explain and explain again things that have already been explained and written about um, to a point of exhaustion, it was just a reminder that. Like there are ways to reframe the question and, and reflect it back on who's asking to insist that there's boundaries like Google is free and here's things I've written. And, you know, also, this is not about me. This is about learning for other people and just like being able to capture those moments and realizing you don't have to take the conversation in the way that it's framed to you if you feel like you need to push it forward and push it further. And so I would say patience, grace, and part of that grace is having the ability to ask the questions back on folks who are questioning you. Jess?
0: Dang, I wish I'd gone first on this one. Um,
1: That was good, y'all. I was
0: thinking, as y'all were talking, that one, I learned that people are incredibly selfish in a way that I never understood before. Mm. Um, And then I was thinking back on my year, and I felt I was very lucky this year to get to work alongside John Wertheim again for a piece on the Dallas Mavericks. And then for the last few months, I've been working alongside Kenny Jacoby and Nancy Armour, an entire team at USA Today to report on LSU. And And then, of course, burn it all down all the time. It's really something to work alongside just incredibly professional people and to see them do their craft and to be able to take pieces of that with you and to make yourself better at all these things that you do. That's always great. That kind of learning. I will say, because of the book, I've been doing a ton of interviews and you kind of do the same interviews over and over, you know, the same kind of questions, right? So you get real good at your answers. And you also just hear yourself a lot in a way that sucks. That's even different than the podcast, because it is just like, oh, here I go again, saying literally the same thing that I said two days ago in a way I just find that uncomfortable. But I will say that it made me recognize that we on episode 169 of the show, we talked about ownership and sport. And like Amir was talking with climate change. It was one of those things I had never, I was like US blinders. Like I had just never really considered all the different ways that ownership could work and does actually work around the world outside of the structure that I am just so used to. And I found myself talking about it. Like I was just like, Brenda Elsie was just like coming out of my mouth um, <laughs> as I'm doing interviews right and I realized that I kept wanting to talk about that like it it just had an impact on me and really made me rethink that and those are the best I just like I find those moments so invigorating when you're like wow I can't put my brain back the way it was before and I'm so happy about it
1: I loved how you phrased that can't put my brain back how it was before The last thing I want to ask you, looking to the future, I won't ask you to make predictions about 2021. Um, As we know, all of our our wants and needs and predictions for 2020 (laughs) did not come true. So instead, what I want to ask you to close out this segment is what self-care or community care practice will you be taking with you into 2021? How will you care for yourself and your loved ones and those around you? And if that's still a lesson in process, where are you on your journey? Jess?
0: Yeah, I, still, I feel like I'm still pretty bad at this part of my life. But I will say therapy, working out, baking, reading romance novels, like I, in my head, those are the big four. And I use them all year. I'm going to continue into 2021. I wish that in this country, in the U.S. in particular, we had better access for people for therapy. Like I really have leaned hard on my therapist at certain parts of this year in ways that I just feel incredibly thankful that I even have the ability and the means to do that, even the time to do that. I'm talking to my therapist in 2 days and I was like, let we got to schedule just before Christmas to make sure that I can like be ready to go into the holiday unburdened in a way that only therapy can really help me do. So, I'll definitely be keeping that up.
1: Bren
2: yeah I, I, just to speak to that i appreciate all of the therapists out there who are also doing really hard work on zoom if teaching is hard on zoom i can't imagine what it's like to absorb all that they're absorbing and processing of other people over zoom and with the holidays coming i like really i do really worry about people that always have you know kind of difficulty post-holiday come down and what that's gonna look like after nine months on lockdown in new york i just i'm like damn uh that's worrisome so echoing that um what am i gonna take well running if running saved my life over lots of years it's never saved my life more often than this past one so i'll keep on running but this this time i've incorporated a new twist which is that I call people on my jogs. It's, that's my big, one of my big personal growths because I'm super notorious for not being able to call people. So this pandemic has forced me to use the phone because I can't look at the screen anymore. I can't like, use my fingers any longer. So I call people on my jogs and they're really nice even though it's windy and I'm gonna keep doing it because it makes me happy and keeps me in touch with people because I jog every day. So it's like now I'm calling people every day and that's a good thing. I'm going to bake the same amount, but Jessica Luther <laughs> inspired all of my spoon cake spin-offs. And it is the one cake I can eat. And I realized that people like baking because it makes other people happy. And I know that's really obvious, but it never really worked for me because I don't really like it. <laughs> now I realize everybody else likes it. And I, then they get so hyped. Like, they're so pumped. Like, my kids are like, spoon cake, spoon cake, right? Yes. And I'm like, all righty. Yes. Oh. You can hear it in the background, like my daughter Julieta, could you make a spoon cake today? <laughs> so I'm gonna keep on doing that and I'm gonna keep on not tweeting a whole lot. Cause I don't wanna really connect with most of the people out there. <laughs> so <laughs> is, So why? <laughs> oh I love
1: you, Brad. I love you so much. <laughs> love you too. Um Yeah. <laughs> I think my community care practice is about communication and accountability and being able to show up for each other, even if that just means simply saying, what do you need? What can I give you right now? And I think that those things are good practices that have forced like a new sense of communication, especially like in a year where you can't hug and you can't touch and, you know, you have to get better at communicating. My self-care has been very obvious. Um, it Has been running headfirst into the Peloton cult. It's the best cult, and I and it has been wildly productive for me in a return to my body, in um, mental health, in the ability to like literally structure my day in a way that if you know me at all, you know, I'm very ADHD and it's very hard to (laughs) do almost everything. Um, But like, especially write and structure my day. And with the kids at home, like it has been literally the thing that I frame my schedule around. But the facet within that, that I think is really important because I work out so much now and so often I've really had to go into stretching and restorative yoga. And like, these are the things I hate like 20, 19 Amir would never. But like I literally (laughs) had to find the value in both preparation and restoration. And I've been able to take that out of just Peloton and bring that to my everyday life. So I'm trying to prepare more. I see the value in what preparation can do. I'm trying to restore myself more. And really even when I don't think my tanks are empty. Like I'm the type of person who waits till my gas needle is like below E and my light is on to get gas it drives my husband crazy because he's like he never lets it go below like a quarter tank and I'm like oh like we were driving to see Jess in Austin and I'm just like la 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 I'm like having a parent teacher conference I'm driving down and Michael's like do you not see that you have zero gas and I was like, oh, yeah, like, I'll just find a, a place <laughs> to pull over. It was like it was a huge argument, very scared because I'm like, whatever, because I never pay attention to it. And so I'm just trying to get better, maybe not at filling my actual gas tank up earlier, but like my actual self is not waiting till I hit E and burn out to slow down. So I think that that is one of the best things that Peloton has taught me that I will continue to take into 2021 when books have to be written and Things like that. We are taking a break from our weekly interviews because it's such a busy time of year, but that does not mean that we don't have lots of content for you to catch up on. If you haven't caught up on our recent interviews over the last few weeks, I highly recommend you check them out. Dr. Adia Benton, cultural anthropologist, chatted with Jess about COVID sports bubbles, fandom, and where we were with the pandemic. I did a hot take with Mickey Grace, who is the LA Rams scouting apprentice and a high school football coach, and the CEO of we Coach Megan Kahn. We talked about barriers to women in coaching and women in sports, generally speaking. I also interviewed Erica Donback and Ann Cook, the head coach of women's soccer here at Penn State, to continue our discussion on coaching. And lastly, I did a hot take this week with Howard Bryant on who really benefits from the MLB's decision to designate the Negro Leagues as major leagues. These African-American players have already carried the pain and they've already carried the
2: consequences of segregation. They carried it for their whole lives. Doesn't the institution have to carry something too? Or do you just get to decide with a pen stroke that now everything's fair?
1: Lots of interviews for you to catch up on if you haven't yet. And we will be back uh, soon (laughs) with regularly scheduled new content, new interviews for you.
2: I think we can all admit that 2020 has reshaped how we work, not only as workers, but also as employers. Businesses across the globe have been challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. And Indeed is here to help. Now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria, and you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. So ignore all of that talk on the show about restorative, calm, tranquil, meditative states and get on the move. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. It is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now. This offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions, as always and everywhere, apply. That was great.
0: You sounded like one of those commercial people.
2: I sounded like a commercial person?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: it was funny. Did I did I it was funny. You think they might fire me? No. No.
1: <laughs> no. But um If
2: they do, I'll go to Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Brittany.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, okay. That was funny, Mom. Thanks. Indeed.com. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, I have some bad news, y'all. My Uncle Clinton has been under the weather. So he hasn't been calling me. So I couldn't tell him to go to bet online to do all his football prop bets. But I think that in his honor, I'm going to go to bet online. And I can't, you know, I don't do sports stuff. But like I told you before, there is so much more content on bet online than just sports. And this is really what I'm here for. I told you that you could do political odds if you're like really sadistic and still into caring at all about this stupid government. Um, but I'm over there. Hey, Hanging out in the Grammy section. You know, one of my favorite things that I have my eye on is Record of the Year. Right now, Don't Start Now by Dua Lupia is negative 75, which means something for betters. I still don't know. What I do know is one of the other options is my favorite song of the year. So that is what I will be betting for. Yes, that is Houston's finest, Meg the Stallion and Beyonce on the Savage remix. It was literally the best. All proceeds went to Houston Food Banks. This is why I'm a terrible gambler, though, is because, like, I don't think about like what the odds are. like the little numbers I'm looking. They are there like a plus four hundred. I don't know what that means. I do know I really like that song. So <laughs> is that not? You how- would give it a plus four hundred I would if you were. Sure. Yeah. Is that a good thing? <laughs> I don't know. But I did want to also give you an update. Last time I told you that you could also bet on hot dogs, and I told you the over-under for Joey Chestnut was seventy-four and a half. But I completely forgot, shame on me, about the women's side of competitive eating. And so that has led me down the ra- rabbit hole of one Miki Sudo, who's currently ranked fifth in the world in Major League Eating. Did you know Major League Eating was its own... Major League? Okay. Major League Eating. (laughs) She currently holds four world records in kimchi, hot dish, ice cream, and of course, the women's world record for hot dogs, which brings me to what you can lay a bet on if you want to back Miko Sudo in her hot dog eating pursuit. The over and under. For her hot dog consumption is 45 and a half hot dogs they're even odds right now again this competitive eating hot dog contest for 2021 is June 30th so you do have about six months to lay your best but don't delay get to bet online today to do Grammys and things that come sooner and while you're there go bet on hot dogs too All right, y'all, it's time to light this burn pile one last time for 2020. Jessica, what are you burning this week? All right, so earlier
0: this week, the Cleveland baseball team announced that they would finally be changing their team name after decades of protests from Native and Indigenous people. They won't actually do it for another year or so, in the same way they slowly retired the racist caricature of Chief Wahoo, but it's a significant change nonetheless. Also, immediately after the team announced this, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue both are Republicans running for Senate seats in Georgia. Loeffler being a co owner of the WNBA's Atlanta Dream and who seems to live permanently up Donald Trump's ass. <laughs> and Purdue being a man who is apparently too scared to show up to debates against his opponent, they released a joint statement in support of the Atlanta MLB team's name. Quote, We adamantly oppose any effort to rename the Atlanta Braves one of our state's most storied and successful sports franchises. Not only are the Braves a Georgia institution with a history spanning 54 years in Atlanta, they're an American institution. They say the normal garbage excuse for native mascotry, which is that this name somehow honors native heritage. This is all political bullshit, of course. This is also just a very funny and ridiculous statement because Native people have been on this land for literal millennia. So the phrase, a history spanning 54 years is so laughable. I read that and I thought, that's it? Only 54 years? It's important to recognize that it's not just the name. It's all the shit that goes along with it, especially the racist tomahawk chant that they do at the games. On episode 128, back in October of 2019, we dug into the Atlanta team's name, so if this is of interest to you, I suggest you check that out. We talked about it then because Atlanta and St. Louis were meeting in the NLDS, and Ryan Helsley, a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals and a member of the Cherokee Nation, criticized the Atlanta team's use of the so-called tomahawk chop during their game, saying about the chant and everything surrounding it, quote, It's about the misconception of us the Native Americans, and it devalues us and how we're perceived in that way and used as mascots. Atlanta has acknowledged repeatedly that the Tomahawk chant in particular is bad, and they shouldn't use it, including in response to Helsley in 2019 and earlier this summer after the Washington NFL team changed their name. The team knows this all sucks, and yet they don't care enough to actually do anything. Loeffler and Purdue, of course, of course, of course, are happy to exploit that for their own political gain. In response to Loeffler and Purdue's statement about the team's name, Cherokee Nation Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. told CBS News, quote, While some team names may not appear derogatory or offensive as others, the usage and imagery misrepresents the culture of our people. All across the United States, fans embrace stereotypes of American Indians, War bonnets, face paint, crying war chants, and making tomahawk chopping gestures, and mock our culture as though we are vestiges of the past. This does not honor Cherokee traditions, nor do they honor our fellow Native brothers and sisters. Burn. 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 Okay, Bren, go
2: ahead. Okay, this week, friend of the show, Jules Boykoff, tipped me off to the fact that there had been the release of the Paris 2024 Games program. Apparently, I don't follow the IOC closely enough to see this type of information. And so this week, Paris 2024 president, Tony Estanguet, claimed this program highlighted gender equality. And to be fair, it's the first Olympic Games that will have equal places for men and women, 5,500 each. But not in the world's most popular sport, it won't. Once again, the women's slot in the soccer tournament will remain 12 compared to 16 for the men, The women's tournament was started in 1996 with only eight teams because the IOC and FIFA figured there wouldn't be enough talent and there would be a general lack of interest. I would think that by now they would reconsider such claims in terms of women's soccer, especially on the heels of 2019 World Cup, but no. And let me tell you the second thing that just pisses me off. So not only is there like this weird kind of gender equality, which is just we have these spaces rather than taking a qualitative look at what that would mean. In addition to it, it just has this amazing way to continue to perpetuate the dominance of the U.S., um, well, North America, I I should really say, and Europe, because in those 12 spots, there's only, okay, I can say it's okay to have 1.5 for South America, I guess, But to have 1.5, and by the 0.5, that means South America has to have a playoff with Africa. But to have 1.5 slots for a continent that has 56 countries in which there is tons of women's soccer, stop. Like, Like, that's just, that's the worst. That's the worst. So I wanna burn the ongoing, you know, ineptitude and superficiality of the IOC's promises for gender equality. I want to complain because FIFA has a lot to do with this, that they are are complicit in ongoing stupidity around gender equity and that they continue to kind of push a tacit racist and imperialist agenda. So I want to burn all that.
1: Burn. 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 Um, I've talked over the last week about Florida basketball player Keontae Johnson, and I am so pleased that he is sitting up, he's breathing on his own, he's talking, he recorded a video thanking everybody for the well wishes. That's just an exhale. It's just a breath there to say I'm so glad that he, um, he is on the road to recovery. What I wasn't pleased to see while he was in a medically induced coma The NCAA retweeting and amplifying the Florida basketball account by saying, if you really want to help Keontae, send letters to Keontae. And so they started a campaign called Letters for Keontae, saying this will help with his healing. Write him letters. Here's the address. Now, this sent me up a wall. Because the NC, like f- for his team, for his family to say, hey, send letters, that's one thing. For NCAA, who loves to pretend they don't have power when they actually could use their power for good, um, jumps in the fray to say, hey, if you want to help, send letters. No. Keontae doesn't need your letters. He needs workers' compensation. Like, it's just straight up what it is. If you recall, the reason why we even have the term student-athletes is because so many people who got injured, who even died playing collegiate sports, became a liability to schools and to the NCAA. So they came up with this fun little term, student-athlete, to deny them workers' compensation so they could point and say, no, they didn't get injured performing a job. They got injured as students who happened to be athletes. And this has held up in court. Even though the person who came up with that legal justification in the 80s before he died was like, no, 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 no. Y'all took it too far. Like, I didn't mean that to be like binding forever. Like, you've gotten way past the point. And I couldn't help but thinking about this again this week because it's unclear who's footing the bill for his hospital bill. It's unclear how much the school gets covered that he's being transferred from hospitals. A lot of that secretly ends up falling to the families because, again, they are not covered legally by the same way that if you or I were hurt and, you know, we all are workers for the university, Brenda. If, if you or I or Jess was hurt doing work for the university, like, and be able to, to claim workers' compensation, you know that you're protected in some ways. And that's something that Keontae Johnson does not have the luxury of having. And so for the NCAA, in this moment where they have done shit all to stop, COVID spread within their uh, jurisdictions. They've done shit all to, you know, protect players and safety. If they even right now are pretending to give a damn about players and health and safety of one of their, you know, star players, and the best they can come up with is to amplify a request for fucking letters. Like, this organization is useless upon useless. They have so much power and yet will never wield it in the way that could do any side of fucking good. They just are here to harm, harm, harm and take and have the audacity to sit up here and tell us that a fucking letter is going to pay bills and help somebody get better. (sighs) It wouldn't be a burn pile to close out the year if we weren't throwing the NCAA on it in some way. So I would like to throw him on for this. Again, Keontae Johnson. I'm glad you're okay. He does not need letters. He needs worker compensation, and he needs to be able to play under a governing institution that actually gives a damn about his health and safety. Burn, burn, burn. After all that burning, it's time to highlight some torch of the week. First honorable mentions, and I'll start first. I want to shout out Jackson He, who is an American football player for Arizona State University. He was born in China, and last week he became the first Chinese-born player to both carry the ball and score a touchdown in Arizona's 70-7 to victory over whoever, whatever team they were playing. He,
0: he fighting for the end zone, and he is stopped. He is in in there. He's He's in 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 there there for a touchdown. Jackson He, the walk-on from China.
1: Not only did he break barriers in that way, he did so while rocking a jersey with his name spelled out in the Chinese characters, which drew a lot of attention and I thought was really cool. He said after, I never thought that was going to happen. It was a surprise and honor to have my actual name on the back of my journey. It really means a lot. I appreciate the equipment room for doing that to me. And he was wearing a custom shirt that said Chinese people can ball too. So congratulations, Jackson, on being a barrier breaker on your touchdown. He walked onto the football team last year, but also for, as he said, being a role model for Chinese youth across the world, you certainly can ball too. Next up for Torchbearers, Jess, what do we have of the things that took way too long, but we're still happy to see variety?
0: We are thrilled that Cleveland will be dropping and replacing their team name and that the MLB is finally recognizing that the Negro Leagues were a major league. Specific huge thank you to Native and Indigenous activists who have protested the Cleveland baseball team's name for many decades and to the historians and families of the Negro League players who have long advocated for more attention to the Negro Leagues. Again, make sure you check out Amir's hot take this past week with Howard Bryant for more on the Negro Leagues and the MLB. All right, Bren,
1: what do we have as our referee of the week? Well,
2: referee of the week has to go to Katherine Nesbitt, the first woman to officiate a championship match in professional men's sports in North America when she officiated the MLS Cup this year.
1: And can I get a drum roll, please? Okay, was, have to do it my damn self. <laughs> <laughs> Our torchbearer of the week, of course, goes to Coach Tara Vanderveer, who surpassed Pat Summit for the most victories in Division I women's basketball with 1,099 victories when number one Stanford won 104 to 61 over Pacific. Vanderveer past Summit, of course, who was a legendary coach at Tennessee and Obviously has the whole season to continue to add to this record. Uh, phenomenal coach, of course, will be a Hall of Famer. And it's been so great to watch all of her players, past and present, celebrate her this week. Chinea Gumake wrote a wonderful op-ed about celebrating her coach's huge milestone. So from us here at Burn It All Down to Coach Vanderveer, Veer, congratulations on the record books. You are our Torchbearer of the Week. All right, y'all. What is good in your world, Bren? Mm-hmm.
2: I've already. I feel like I've exhausted all of my like positivity throughout the show. <laughs> 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 I'm like, it's so. This is a, this is a, okay. Okay, I got one though. I got one. Um. Well, I loved our uh, secret Santa. Uh. Bye holiday party which was really 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 fun and yeah I got a cool present so our producer Martin Kessler got me and I got a cool shirt I had asked for a not so awesome looking sweater I don't think we're allowed to say ugly sweater anymore and so I got actual literal fascism which came from one of our episodes where Amir and I were complaining about politics we are on the brink of actual fascism actual literal fascism Actual, literal fascism. So can we- I feel like that really worked it, for us. It was great um, banter. It, it was a great call and response. And so I would like to also say that I'm excited for my children getting their holiday presents because we are bored and we need things to do. And I've refused to buy them anything for like a month because it's coming up. And so I'm psyched to like have some cool new things to do with them. Games and whatnot. I could hear
0: all of it. <laughs> and when are you going to make a spoon cake?
1: Please keep that. Oh, As Brenda tries and fails to keep surprises <laughs> from her kids. Well, I have to say that I loved our first annual Bayad holiday party. It was a lot of fun. We found out that me and our producer, Tressa, have the same exact birthday, like literal June 4th, 1988. It's very exciting. And I just had a lovely time gathering. I like actually dressed up, kind of. I put on like a bright, shiny ornamental shirt. Um, but it was fun to to break bread with all of you guys and get some presents. Shereen got me a Good Night Peloton book. <laughs> Love that. Um, but yeah, and also it's my husband's birthday um, in three days. Um, he hates celebrating his birthday. He especially hates that he's turning thirty five. I will. Be safe talking about it here because I don't think he's going to listen to this episode before his birthday. But if he does, we'll find out. So I will take this space to say happy birthday, Michael. I am thrilled that you were born, obviously. And I will take every moment to celebrate you because you are a rock star. Jessica.
0: Yeah. So I also enjoyed our Secret Santa. It was very fun. So I met Lindsey Gibbs many years ago on the Twitter because we both love tennis a whole lot. And so Lindsey got me uh, the Olympia Ohanian's doll, the Kwai Kwai doll that she is famous for carrying around with her everywhere. So that was very sweet and very tied into my long history with Lindsey. I'm excited about taking a break. (laughs) (laughs) Like just having a little downtime. I'm one of the things that's good is I really loved the Mandalorian season finale. So if anyone wants to talk to me about that, that was wonderful. And then I'm super looking forward to Christmas Day because we get wonder woman 1984 on hbo we get soul on disney plus and then we get bridgerton which is a netflix series based on a very famous romance novel the duke and i by julia quinn and i am just so thrilled to watch a sexy steamy historical romance with a diverse cast on netflix starting on christmas so that's what's good
1: that's also what we're watching this week <laughs> There you go. (laughs) There you have it, y'all. Well, I just want to remind everybody that this will be the last uh, full Burn It All Down episode of 2020, but as a reminder, we have two best of shows airing the next two weeks of the year to round out the year. So the first will be our best of segments, which will feature our favorite segments of the year all put together in one nice little episode for you and tied with a bow, and we follow that up with our best of interviews. So check those out when they drop over the next two weeks, and we will return in the new year with more content, more burnable things, more torchbearers to highlight, and all of that jazz. So that's it for this episode of Burn It All Down. On behalf of me and Jessica and Brenda, This episode was produced by Martin Kessler, of course. Shelby Weldon is our social media and website person. And also, shout out to Tressa on the interview episode, who produces our interview episodes. You can listen and subscribe to Burn It All Down on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, anywhere you get your podcasts, or on Instagram at Burn It All Down Pod, on Twitter, Burn It Down Pod. Check out our website for previous episode transcripts, link to our show notes. You can also, from there, go. directly to our Patreon, as well as our Teespring store for late presents, for New Year's joy. Once again, thank you to all our Patreons who support us, to all flamethrowers who listened and who have been on this wild ride with us. It has been another wonderful year for our Burn It All Down community, and we look forward to burning on but not out, and we'll see you in 2021, flamethrowers.